You're listening to locally produced programming created in KUNV Studios on public radio, KUNV 91.5. You're listening to special programming sponsored by Making Moves Life Coaching Services. The content of this program does not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz and More, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education. Good morning, Las Vegas. This is Veterans Affairs Plus on 91.5 Jazz and more. I am pleased to be here as we again continue into the into the first month of 2024. Uh, y'all pray for my, my friend, my uh, young colleague here in this radio station. He's my producing director. Wesley's a little under the weather, so let's keep him in prayer, y'all. Look, uh, a couple days ago, I attended uh, a groundbreaking for one of Frank Hawkins and his uh, staff's uh, new project where they're going to build 40 new affordable apartments on Decatur. I think it's 1501 North Decatur. So I was pleased to participate in that as his chairman of the board. Also, um, this month we had, uh, well, this week, I should say, we had our brother, Mr. Don Hamilton was put to rest up in the Veterans Cemetery up in Boulder City. Don was a good guy. He and I played a lot of golf together, but uh, we will miss Don and we'll continue to keep his legacy alive by just talking about him. On the side of condolences, certainly want to express condolences to the family of Miss Barbara Coleman. Barbara, as you may recall, she was a longtime uh, librarian over at the West Las Vegas Library. She passed away uh, not so long ago, just a few days ago. And then, believe it or not, just about a week or so later, her brother, I'm told, which I didn't even know he was her brother, Michael Bombay, we call him, Garrett, he passed away. Um, So those two, for sure, their families, we want to express condolences. Then my wife informed me about Miss Olivia Stevens, a longtime member of the Victory Baptist Church, they had her services earlier this week. So, again, condolences to those families. On the side of birthdays, Miss Cheryl Hawkins had a birthday this month. It was earlier in the month. And then Jonathan Armagon, who was the brother to my son-in-law, Nathan Armagon. And also earlier this month, we had uh, the chief. Chief Burt Washington had a birthday. Uh, Burt is still a young man and doing great things in the community over in Southern California. Uh, certainly want to mention that Mike, and the, even though Mike Armigan, my son-in-law's father, he passed away back in May, but he and his his wife is uh, still thinking and celebrating their anniversary because they were married for quite a few years, so we want to acknowledge that. Uh, once again, this is Veterans Affairs Plus on 91.5 Jazz and More, and we will be back on the other side. We're going to have Brett Burton. He's a retired fire captain from L.A. County Fire Department. Good afternoon or good morning, I should say. Once again, this is Veterans Affairs Plus on 91.5 Jazz and more. And I am so pleased and excited to introduce a dear friend and colleague, Mr. Brent Burton. He is a retired fire captain from the L.A. County Fire Department. What's up, Brent? Hey, Dave. How are you? I am well. I am well. Glad to have you uh, on the show, man. Uh, would you give our listening audience a little bit of background on yourself, please? Absolutely. First of all, glad to be here. Thank you for having me on. 
I just retired after 37 years with the Los Angeles County Fire Department. Uh, I was very blessed to start the job when I was at the young age of 19. Mm. Uh, I figured out that I wanted to do this profession. I wanted to be a police officer at first, but mm. then I had a cousin in the fire department and got a chance to see what he was doing. And, and I did both. I did uh, youth programs for the police and fire department. And I figured the fire department was more of uh, what I wanted to do. So I went over there and did that. So okay. during my course of years, I was a paramedic. I was a training officer, recruitment officer, a uh, a, a training instructor, a youth mentor, um, worked various assignments throughout the whole county. The county is pretty large. Mm -hmm. I think we're the we're the second largest department as far as number of fire stations in the country. We have 177 fire stations. Wow! But as far as staffing, we're number five. We have 3,000 uniformed personnel. Mm -hmm. So uh, a large agency and a lot of variety there, a lot of diversity. So during that time, I was also the president of the L.A. County Black Firefighter Association called the Stentorians. I did that for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I was also found co-founders and president, past president and current historian of the African-American Firefighting Museum in Los Angeles. And so also um, I was able to go through the EDI Executive Development Institute program, class mm -hmm. of uh, 1907, the third class after you date. Right. And I was to serve as an instructor since 1995. And so now I've been blessed to have been appointed to be one of the board of directors there. And I'm looking forward to that endeavor and what that's going to bring and right. I'll hopefully do some things like that. So pretty much that it. I retired and moved down to Temecula, California, where I live mm -hmm. with my wife. I oh. have three grown children, all in public service. Mm -hmm. So uh, right now I teach, uh, I'm teaching right now part-time high school kids about fire careers and mm -hmm. life skills. And I run mentor programs in LA. So that's what I'm doing. Oh, man, it sounds like you are a busy person, man. That is something. But I, I want you to just uh, give a little bit more detail on the museum because, in fact, I didn't even have that down as a question to ask you. But give our, our listening audience, because I trust that some that may be down in the Southern California area visiting would want to stop by. I would encourage that, in fact. Absolutely. So the African-American Firefighting Museum is one of the original freestanding black firefighting museums in the country. We're housed at Old Fire Station number 30, just outside of downtown Los Angeles mm -hmm. on the Central Avenue corridor. For those that know about L.A., mm -hmm. the historical Central corridor was the black hub of the boulevard for those that migrate to L.A. between the 1920s and the 1950s. And so at one point, the L.A. Fire Department was segregated from 1902 to 1955. Mm -hmm. Black firefighters are only allowed to work at two fire stations, one of two fire stations. So Station 30 was built in 1913. Uh, it housed black firefighters from the years of 1924 to 1955, and then it closed in 1980. And several years later, it became a historic landmark. And in 1997, we actually got a chance to reopen it after a $1.9 million renovation restoration project. And so I was blessed to serve on the founding board. Uh, I was a president for over 12 years. And so now I'm the current historian. So I tell the story and share the history of our pioneering African-American firefighters. We have artifacts from firefighters around the country, but mostly our history deals with the county and city of L.A. Mm -hmm. But we do have artifacts, pictures, and, and, um, and memorabilia from firefighters from around the country as well. So it's only open once a week on Sundays. It's staffed by volunteers. But if you go to our website, we can arrange a tour uh, via our website from one of our docents that can make themselves available during the week. So it's a, it's a jewel of L.A. Excellent, excellent. I trust that, again, some folks will take you up on and give that website again because I think it's important for people to know and they can set up those uh, tours. 
Oh, absolutely. So if you don't Google African American Firefighter Museum in Los Angeles, the website will be www.aafs, as in firefighter, museum.org is our website. Excellent, excellent. Now, you did mention that you had, you're currently an instructor at the Carl Holmes Executive Development Institute. Give us, uh, give the folks a, an idea of a couple of the topics that you actually teach. Well, you know, I started out just doing uh, one class when I was asked to teach, and now that's morphed into five classes now. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm very blessed to work with two dynamic brothers from the East Coast, uh, Brother Joseph Muhammad a retired uh, fire lieutenant out of uh, White Plains, New York Fire Department, mm-hmm. uh, and Brother Bushia Delabu um, from the Milwaukee Fire Department. Now he's uh, relocated down to Atlanta. But the three of us teach the history of African Americans in the fire service. Uh, that's the first class that we give the students that are entering day one. Mm-hmm. We talk about of us as a people through ancient Africa and what we've come through. I talk about building your history and your legacy and how to record it and document it. And I give a brief overview of our museum. And then Joe Muhammad does clean up, as we say. He comes along and just pulls everything together and gives the history of the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters. Mm-hmm. Him and Oshie are past presidents of the IBPFF. And so they kind of round everything out as far as what we're doing. And we kind of share with the students that topic. I also teach with my partner, Kwame Cooper, who's now the uh, Deputy Chief of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion with the FDNY. He's a former L.A. City Fire Department retired assistant chief, and I've been known to Kwame my entire career. Mm-hmm. And we teach courses. We teach the fire service and high-risk communities, which is a community risk reduction program that teaches the students how to develop their own fire programs and youth programs and educational community-based programs, either out of the fire station mm-hmm. or out of their black fire chapters. Cool. We also teach a coaching class called Coaching Conversations for Fire Service Professionals, where we teach them more about how to work with their people more intimately. Mm-hmm. We teach leadership for fire service professionals, more of a leadership course that really deals around a customer satisfaction based on treating these the firefighters themselves as customers and, and how to look at building a good, authentic relationship with their people. And then the last class is the fire service and the uh, the fire safety and, and uh, risk analysis. Mm-hmm. That's the course that's more of a um, training safety officer type of program looking at uh, risk management issues and line of duty death issues mm-hmm. and how with those com- those complexities in the fire service. Excellent. Look, uh, you mentioned that you had became become a board member, a director with the with the institute. What do you feel you're bringing to the table as we get ready to close out this session? Wow. It, first of all, it's an honor to do that. You know, because I've been an admirer of Dr. Carl Holmes when he was here with us, and just the inner workings of the of the, uh, the institute. I, I look to bring some nonprofit management experience. Uh, I do have, I've, I've ran several nonprofits in Los Angeles. And I've attended, I'm a certified manager of nonprofit organizations through mm. the uh, Center for Nonprofit Management. So bringing the expertise of how to uh, pretty manage, ma- managing a executive board uh, on a nonprofit level is something that I bring. Also some ideas and thoughts about how to work with our students and make them more marketable and, and to more, Actually, I would say just just to get the most out of our student body that comes, because when you come in, most folks come in as firefighters Mm -hmm. and they're looking at, I want to kind of bring out of them that authentic leadership. I want to bring out of them that that goal of what the Institute is trying to implore on our students. So I'm looking forward to working with you, Dave, and Mm -hmm. the rest of the board and our Institute, a worldwide organization, even taking it further, because 35 years is a long time. Mm -hmm. I know we can make 
to last a lot longer. Excellent. Excellent. Look, as you close, look, I want to get your thought on how do you think AI is going to affect fire service? Because, you know, it's, it's a hot topic right now. Yeah. Well, AI is there. There's some positives of AI. AI is a good tool to use for helping us with our technology mm-hmm. because technology is going now as far as the, the, the figuring out drones. Drone is part of technology, looking at cameras and systems of how to dis, uh, determine natural disasters and how to mitigate them. Mm-hmm. But we'll always need on the ground to do the full pulling somebody on the rescuing. Right. I think AI is assist us on the peripheral with those things or from mm-hmm. a managerial standpoint. Mm-hmm. But as far as uh, actual firefighting, the actual hands-on, the actual rescue, the physical efforts of the, of the nature of what the work that we do, uh, AI can work hand-in-hand with us. So I know that we have to embrace it mm-hmm. and look at ways we can use it to help us out. Excellent. Brother Britt, retired captain, Las, Ve- Las Vegas, Los Angeles County Fire Department. Pleasure to have you on the show, man, and I trust that people will get a lot out of this to include hopefully some visits down to the African American Museum down in L.A. Thank you so much, Brent. Thank you, Dave. This is Veterans Affairs Plus on 91.5 Jazz and More. On the other side, we'll have Miss Debbie Staten. Once again, good morning. This is Veterans Affairs Plus on 91.5 Jazz and More. I am Dave Washington, your host, and have Miss Debbie Staten on the, on the in the studio, in fact, and, and she'll introduce her daughter shortly. But, uh, Deb, how is everything going for you in 2024? All is well. All is well. <laughs> good, good. So, uh, Give our listening audience a little bit about you. How long you been in town? Uh, where'd you grow up? And where'd well, you go to school? And that kind of stuff. Originally, uh, my family's from San Antonio, Texas. In fact, uh, we moved to Texas right after the war, mm-hmm. as, as my grandfather would say, the war. <laughs> and um, so I was born there and grew up there for a few years. And then we relocated to Las Vegas in the early 1960s. Okay. All right. And uh, I graduated from Las Vegas High School. Vegas High. In Wildcats. The, in the old spot downtown, right? right. Downtown. Most definitely. Yes, yes, cool. The cool. original one. Cool. Now, Debbie, you recently retired. What were you doing and who were you doing it for? I retired uh, from the Nevada State Education Association. Mm-hmm. I was what is known as a UNISERV director. I worked for uh, the union for many years, mm-hmm. and what I, I was assigned to uh, Clark County, where I represented support staff here and also both teachers and support staff in mm-hmm. Nye County. And I am officially 16 <laughs> days retired. 16 days. And how many years did you do? Well over 20. And, and how did you decide to get into that field? Uh, I started out, I was hired by SEIU as a union organizer. Mm-hmm. And they moved me or transferred me to Texas. And I spent, I was doing nursing home reform there for a few years mm-hmm. when Ann Richards was governor. I worked with her daughter, Cecile Richards, mm-hmm. and then they were going to transfer me to Maine. And at that time, my daughter had just turned five. And I'm like, I can't keep traveling all over the country right. with this kid. I have to have a stable life for her. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Texas Federation of Teachers was, they were hiring. Mm-hmm. So um, I took a position with them and I was assigned to the Houston, Texas area. I had Brazosport, Goose Creek, mm-hmm. which was good. And then moved back to Las Vegas and uh, Clark County Education Association was hiring. And they made me an offer and I accepted it. Okay. Now you, you mentioned your grandpa said something about, what is it called? The war? The war. So who in your family, aside from, and I'm assuming that your grandfather was a service guy? 
My great-grandfather fought, uh, as a matter of fact, my uh, three times great-grandfather and my four times great-grandfather fought in the Civil War. They were freedom fighters. Mm, okay. So got a rich history in the military in the fa- back in the family. Oh, yeah. All right. So you guys came to Las Vegas, you said, uh, in the early 60s. You left and went away and then came back uh, as a result of folks wanting to move you to some cold country. <laughs> I- I'm going to call it cold country, babe. Oh, most definitely. And the best thing to uh, ever happen, I'm going to be honest with you, was coming back home because my family was here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that was nice. So do you have any college background at all? Yes. Mm-hmm. I, um, well, after graduating from uh, Las Vegas High School, mm-hmm. I went to Texas Southern University okay. in Houston. And uh, I realized that that was a little bit too far from me. So I transferred to the University of San Diego. Okay. Which I like. That means I could come home on uh-huh, weekends uh-huh. and holidays. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's where my brother-in-law went. He graduated, I think, in business administration or something from Texas Southern. Yes, he kept work. us out of trouble. Well, you were down around the same time? Around the same time. Is that right? Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, he made sure that we ate. <laughs> so, there was, so there was a little Las Vegas connection. With yes. Some of the, you know, I think that's that's commendable and also a great opportunity for people to get settled when there are some others that— from home that they can connect with, if you will. Because I know that, uh, in fact, I need to correct this last week I had on my th- three of my granddaughters, and I called my great-niece, I call her my cousin, but she's actually my great-niece. And, you know, sometimes your brain just shuts down. I'm like, and people, family members who heard the show, why did you call her cousin <laughs> and not niece? I'm like, I couldn't think about it. I couldn't think. My mind just kind of shut down. Well, that's good. So now that you're back home, and I know I'd like you to introduce your daughter and bring her on the line. I know she's sitting out there waiting on us. Okay. My daughter is Amanda Statton. As Mm -hmm. a matter of fact, she grew up and was born here in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. And uh, she is now living in Atlanta, Georgia, temporarily. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we're looking forward to having her move back here. And with that being said, Amanda she should be. Hi, on. thank you so much. How you doing, Amanda? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. So how long have you been down in Atlanta? I've been down here since June uh, 2016. Oh, you've been down there a few years. Yes, yeah, so, about eight years now. Okay. So what are you doing while in the, in the great city of Atlanta? I am an operations manager of a one million square foot warehouse currently, um, but I also own a cannabis consumption lounge based back home. Okay, so that's because I was going to ask your mom, which I'm, I'm, I'm well aware of some of, of what's going on in her retired life. So uh, you guys are partners. So, Debbie, would you explain how you guys got into that? And then we'll get you back in, Amanda. Okay. Also, uh, David, Amanda says that I'm not retired, that I'm on vacation <laughs> be- because of the business. Right. Um, a couple of years ago, an opportunity came up uh, regarding perhaps uh, Amanda and I applied for, no, let me just say it right. Amanda signed me up for a cannabis class, 16 mm-hmm. weeks cannabis class. Mm-hmm. And then, then the next thing that happened is we applied for a cannabis consumption lounge license with the state of Nevada. This was a new area that was opening up in Nevada right. where people could go and be able to partake right. in uh, cannabis. Mm-hmm. And so with that being said, they had a lottery system, and uh, there are two types of uh, licenses that were given, and that was the 
independent license, which is what we have. And mm-hmm. we are also, our lounge will be located in unincorporated Clark County, which opens the door for us more areas wherever we decide to open, you know, it gives us a broader area mm-hmm. is what I should say. Okay. And the other ones was, uh, I believe, 10 social equities. Mm-hmm. So um, the license we were given is called a provisional license. Mm-hmm. And so once you go through all of the requirements, you meet all the requirements of the provisional license, mm-hmm. the next step you're going to meet before, we will meet before the cannabis uh, board, compliance board mm-hmm. for our, um, what we call the, uh, I feel like you, David. I understand. <laughs> I understand you. Yes, sometimes, and I tell people all the time because Wes said Wes always tells me, "Hey, remember this ain't TV. When you ain't talking, they ain't hearing." <laughs> uh, conditional license. Conditional license. Okay. Yes, and that's where we are right now. So we're at the point is we're going to be meeting before the board soon mm-hmm. regarding our uh, conditional license, and Amanda can give you more information on that. Go ahead, Amanda. Uh, sure. Um, yeah, so I'm really excited about this opportunity. Um, just as my mom said, you know, I volunteered her, mainly because she was boots on the ground. Um, this is something that I've been wanting to do since cannabis was actually passed medically. Um, and as soon as I moved, they decided to pass it rec- recreationally. So it's uh-huh. something that I've always wanted to do and be a part of. Um, and so when I found the course, uh, I told my mom, hey, I can't make it. They're not doing it virtual, so I need you to go. And I... I literally volunteered her uh, and put her on the business license. She, there was no asking. There was no say so. Right. It, it was what it was at that point. You know, it's kind of interesting that you would use that volunteer. One of our deputies kind of coined that phrase on the department. When we were told to do something, they said, we were volunteered. I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> Somebody almost point a gun at you and say, you will do this. So that's very right. exciting. So you guys have got to be, even though with the social equity, which I'm somewhat familiar with because I've done some work for Mr. Frank Hawkins, who has two dispensaries in town. And I know that the social equity allows for those who've been in trouble around the use of marijuana, cannabis, and they're given those. And my position is, and I'm, I'm, I'm totally lay at this, but I trust that there's going to be a lot of failure because most of those folks, I bet they don't have a clue about the industry nor business practices. And I think it's going to be very interesting. And as I deal with people, as I do this work for Frank, and my wife calls me a drug pusher because I pick up people from the hotels and take them to the dispensary. Look, it's legal, <laughs> I told her. Well, you're the former fire chief. Hey, the former fire chief is not doing anything illegal. This is perfectly legal. But my point is, as I'm dealing with folks, they said, uh, can, you, can we just fire up outside? I said, no, it's against the law. By law, you cannot. And I said, they were looking, they had a vision, and they were looking down the road. And I believe that's why they decided that ultimately we need these, quote unquote, consumption lounges where where people can go and and, and smoke, you know. So, but I still believe that those in the social equity, they better be very, very careful. I don't know how much time you guys, even in, in the independent that you have, to get everything set and up and running. Did they give you a particular time frame? Um, there's no time frame generally. Uh, they're, they're just waiting, um, you know, for everything to be turned in on time, and then they'll schedule a time for us to meet uh, with the with the board. Um, they they do give a set time frame, but you can request an extension, mm-hmm. um, which is what's been occurring uh, across the board. Uh, people have been re- requesting extensions, mm-hmm. um, so that's kind of where, where we're at, and uh, and based on that is when your deadlines are. 
can can either one of you guys share? I would imagine that they want you to have a certain dollar amount, whether it's equity somewhere or cash in the bank. Is there a dollar? Yes, there is a requirement. Once you um, initial is for especially for the independence license, it's a two. I believe it's a $10,000 non-refundable fee. Mm-hmm. And then once you are awarded that license, the next step you would have to, the cost would be a $200,000. Like like you said, monies are, that you would have to have in a bank or in mm-hmm. some type of an escrow account That because the board needs to know that you have some money that's available. And, um, and, and I also want to add this, David, the uh, paperwork on this is extremely ex- extensive and Amanda and our partners have done an exceptional job and I'm very proud of her the way she has put together all of our paperwork and everything is ready for the board. Excellent. I can tell you that I can only imagine because me, Ernest and Marsha were partners in a convenience store and we had I think five or ten um, slot machines. Man, the, the paper, this thing was so thick and they won't know about what I thought about this, that when I was three. Man, I don't remember that. They, I mean, they they take you way back, and I guess I'm assuming that they want to look and see what's going on in the family, et cetera, et cetera. But the thing was very, very thick, so I can only imagine uh, the kind of application uh, request and things that you have to go through in terms of filling out that particular paperwork. And you, Debbie, you said they've done an excellent job in preparation. Oh, she she really has. She uh, was very methodical about mm-hmm. making sure everything was as it is supposed to be. And she would also check periodically with the individual that was uh, working with us from the board to make mm-hmm. sure all of our stuff was as it should be or is correct and is in line in what the board is requiring. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Amanda has developed a very strong relationship with this person to, you know, to ensure that what the board is requiring, Mm -hmm. that those needs are are being met by us and our team. Excellent. And I can tell you that uh, it's it's rewarding to hear some folks are stepping to what's already, I believe, a multi-million dollar business and will soon be a billion dollar business because you can't assume and think who smokes. I haven't smoked in 37 years. And my family, why you be telling people that? Because it's true. I, I don't smoke no weed no more. But I did. But one thing I do use is the, is the CDB uh, lotion and SAS for my back. When I go play golf, I put that on. It lasts about two hours and I have to put some more on there. But it's better than having to take a lot of different drugs, if you will, to deal with the pain. Mm, most definitely. And um I, that that's where we realize that it's really there's a need for the medicinal end of mm-hmm, it because mm-hmm. you know a lot of people don't just necessarily like yourself and mm-hmm. like me we're not we don't want to get high but we are definitely looking for that medicinal aspect yeah that relief of the aching body mm-hmm. so um, Amanda I assume you're gonna wait till things get locked down and you're gonna make that transition back to to the wonderful city of Las Vegas Nevada. Well, I'm not too sure about transitioning back. I, I think my mom has just got a little bit too excited, but because I love to travel. Um, so um, I definitely will be home for a long extended period of time. Okay. Uh, but for now, Atlanta is home. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get into the family. I don't want to start on family squabble on the radio <laughs> this, oh, this no, morning. Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> she just misses me. So, so uh, any closing remarks in, in terms of... Uh, what you plan to do outside of just this and any other thing that you may be planning, Debbie, as far as your brief retirement, brief 
What did she say? You're on a brief vacation. <laughs> Amanda said. Yeah, Amanda's turn. Mm-hmm. You know, it's amazing because it's as if our roles are starting to reverse. Mm-hmm. But uh, closing, you know, I, I would definitely encourage the name of our company is The Rolling Clouds, okay. C-L-O-U-D-Z. That will be the name of our lounge when okay. we open up. Uh-huh. And uh, we will select an area once we have... Um, Met with the board, mm-hmm. and like I said, it will be in unincorporated Las Vegas. And uh, we definitely would encourage people to come come and check us out. Right. And check because we're going to have a lot of things that we're going to be offering. <laughs> and with that being said, I'd just like Amanda just to wrap it up. Miss Amanda, and let me say this to everyone: This is Veterans Affairs Plus on ninety one point five Jazz and more. And this is the plus side because sometimes I have guests on that have nothing to do with the military. And that's why I added the plus so because there's things that people need to know about within our community. Miss Amanda, go ahead. Um, yes, definitely looking forward to uh, opening the lounge, um, creating a community, communal space for all walks of life, and uh, definitely tapping back into the community and giving back to the community and all. Excellent. So wish you Godspeed as you travel back and forth until Everything gets situated here, and we certainly wish you guys well. And I think it's it's great that we have some African-Americans other than Mr. Hawkins and Mr. Larry Smith involved in this industry because I think it's going to be very, very profitable. So why not get some of that money? So once again, Las Vegas, we appreciate uh, Miss Debbie and her daughter, Amanda, calling in from Atlanta, GA, Hot Atlanta, uh, to talk about uh, what they got going on. And we uh, we wish you guys great success. Once again, Veterans Affairs Plus on 91.5 Jazz and More. And Debbie, you are welcome anytime to come back on the show. So thank you so much for, for agreeing to come on. Thank you for having us. All right. We'll talk to you guys next next week, I should say. And we will have Mr. Well, not Mr., but former uh, Los Angeles County Assistant Chief Dan Scott and also the president of the Centurions, Mr. Johnny Gray, will be our guest uh, coming up next week. Once again, Vegetables Affairs Plus on 91.5 Jazz and More. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.